Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the FlowTrack Podcast. FlowTrackPodcast at gmail.com is our email address. FlowTrackPodcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or you can watch the videos on FlowTrack.org slash FlowTrackPodcast. I'm Kevin. He's Lincoln. Gordon is not here. He's charging his computer, I think, for the last several days. Lincoln, what's going on? Uh, not a lot. Yeah, Gordon, uh, his computer being at the beach, they didn't have any good outlets there last week. So he was uh, a little incapacitated, but hopefully he's back to full strength by by this week near some outlets. Um, full disclosure, I my computer is at 73% right now and I don't have it plugged in without a charger. So we're uh, we're running we're running the line, we're running a little risk here, but hopefully we can get today's episode done without me having to just be an avatar like Gordon was last week. <laughs> Decrease the brightness right now. Let's just go into yeah, energy saver true. mode right there now. You, you don't need anything else open <laughs> and we will get through it. I enjoyed, and it wasn't just because Gordon only was on it for about 60%, but I enjoyed your guys' conversation with Josh Kerr and David Ribich that we posted yesterday. That was good. Yeah, I think we had a fun time. They asked me some questions. We asked them. They, I think they, uh, we're a little more open than maybe most athletes tend to be just because they do host their own show. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're used to that, uh, which was, was fun. It was fun to hear Josh talk about British. I've, I'm still trying to get my hands or my, my head around, you know, why we call it great Britain. We call it the UK. He's talking about runners specifically from Scotland. And I, I just, I can't, I can't figure out exactly what's going on. What's the difference between Great Britain and the United Kingdom? Can anyone explain that to me? I'm, I'm still <laughs> trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, well, within, within uh, Britain, you have Scotland, okay. Wales, England, et cetera, et cetera, right? So he's saying not only is Great Britain really strong right now in the 1500, but he's yeah, a Scotland smaller subset is. of that. In Scotland, yeah. right, with with all the Scottish yeah. athletes, he was naming. I was intrigued by the four by fifteen. I didn't even think about the possibilities there because Norway, mm -hmm. you have to put them in the mix. Two of the two of the Ingebrigtsens there are fifteen hundred meter studs, and then you have another guy who can certainly hold his own. Then you just got to find a fourth person. The U.S. would yeah. be in there. Kenya would be in there, and I think that you would that be it. I think that would be it, right? If it was a straight I mean, up Ethiopia, maybe could fill feel the team. I'm sure. Yeah. But I mean, not, not any pure 205 marathoner and be like, you're going to be in the four by 1500. You're yeah. not cutting the marathon anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got some steeplers and a couple five K guys. So, I mean, they could probably make it happen, but, but I, I, I think it comes down to Kenya versus the U S and the UK. So, I mean, he's got an argument that the, that the United Kingdom and maybe just Scotland by itself could be just as good as the, or better than the U S and the 1500, which is pretty impressive. And I don't know what we attribute that to other than maybe track or athletics as they call it over there. It's just a hair more popular, uh, relative to what it is in the U S. So maybe they they get the bigger, uh, concentration of athletes, but it is interesting. And, uh, he deserves the right to, uh, to, uh, dance a little bit on the u.s for because that's that shouldn't be the thing where, where scotland could contend with the entirety of the united states in a four by 15 on the men's side well if you think about it think of jamaica versus the u.s in sprints did it ever make sense that jamaica and the population no. that they have should be yeah, better no. than the u.s in, in no. sprinting it for for all those that's years it, did, it didn't make sense it's a moment in time. I don't think long term it's going to be the case, but right now, yeah, he does have a good point. And I just like the fact that he doesn't 
hold back. Both those guys were mm-hmm. very candid. Yeah, I like the Christian Serrato story. That was good. No, yeah, that was a good. Uh, time. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot. I, I recommend people go listen to it, and I'm sure yeah. their all of their episodes are probably really good. Sit and kick. Yeah, podcast is the name of of their show. Go back and listen because yeah, they were just incredibly candid. They make fun of each other, which I thought brought a little more out of you because then you started subtly dunking on Gordon every. Oh yeah, was it subtle? I thought it was a verb, so? but yeah, yeah. Well, it sounded subtle, and then I think you called him mm-hmm. overweight at one point, uh, which was I a little more direct. myself in there. Yeah, I, I put myself oh, in there, true. too. I just – yeah. I just it – was, It was good. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. Uh, okay, we want to talk – it's Myler Week on the site, so we wanted to do a deep dive into one specific race in Myling history. But myling. before we do that – Is that a word? My, it is. Yes, it's a word. I made Myling? It, a word. it is now. Okay. Uh, before we do that, though, there's some news, Lincoln, that came oh, across is. the wire this morning. Oh, yes. I'm reading this from the World Athletics website. In what will be Germany's first professional spectator sporting event since the corona lockdown, a pole vaulting facility will be set up in the Otto Kino Dusseldorf, where three of the country's <laughs> leading pole vaulters will compete surrounded by the spectators' cars. Germany's 2013 world champion, Raphael Holzdepi, 2019 world championship fourth place finisher, Bo Candalita Bere, and World University Games silver medalist, Torben Bletch, will be taking part. Oh, Spectators can, can watch the action unfold right in front of them, or if they prefer, on the big cinema screen. Naturally, protective measures will be observed. A pole vault competition at a drive-in movie theater. What's that to like? The pole vault has never gotten more attention. If we're doing it at winners and losers of the sports lockdown, pole vault is a winner. It's gotten more <laughs> attention than it's ever gotten in the last three months, just simply off of, I guess, its accessibility or your ability to do this with, uh, with you know, social distancing, I guess. What do I think of this? I mean, yeah, this is a commitment. I know Germany has been able to open a bit because of the 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 you know, the good measures they took in the wake of the, the beginning of the outbreak. Uh, but uh, I don't know what my reaction is to this other than, I, I don't know, good on them for trying to catch on to the pole vault trend that's currently going on with these garden clashes. But now we have a drive-in clash. Uh, do you get like, does a bellhop <laughs> with a math and gloves come to your car with rollerblades and take your order? Like, it seems like it's like 1950 track and field. You turn the radio on to listen. Just as yeah. Pole Vault is able to succeed during this time, so are drive-in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. I've been reading Making about that just in general. They've been able to make a comeback here. So you have the um, the marriage of two things that are able to function during a global pandemic. Have you been to a drive-in movie before, or are you too I mean, young for that? If I, yeah, if I have, it's been a very long time ago. Um I think of them now as like, it's like a romantic thing, right? You take like a date mm-hmm. to it and that's not anything I would have done as a, as a kid or probably even as an adult. But, um, so first date, well, we used to go, I mean, we used to go with groups. Thing? Oh, okay. We used to go as groups because on Tuesdays it was family night and a bunch of people from work would oh. pile in cars and you'd pay wow. some obscenely low amount of money. And then some people would hide in the trunk of cars and cover blankets over themselves so they could pay even less money. And then you got out of the car, you brought lawn chairs, basically. You brought out a car, you got out of the car, brought lawn chairs. Everybody had their radios on because that's how you listen to the movie. 
and you'd sit there and watch it. Now, this was Las Vegas in the summer. So even at night, it was about 98 degrees. And mm-hmm. I would, was getting up very early to run before work. I was working at a pool as a lifeguard. So I'd make it about 45 minutes in every movie and fall asleep in a lawn chair without fail because it was just so nice. warm and it put me right to were sleep. These, were these new movies or like re-airing old movies? Yes. or New movies. new movies and it was yeah yeah and it was uh if i'm remembering correctly they were all double features too so if you didn't oh, mind wow. the low quality you were getting a good deal you were getting a very good deal the problem was the you were sitting in a lawn chair and in my case you were falling asleep very shortly after the thing started but they were they were actual mm-hmm. movies you know you, you'd look up and you you got to pick from your screens right there were three or four screens out there and we'd always vote each week and go out there now, would I be able to get people to go out and watch pole vaulting in the same manner? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. I mean, they, it's not going to be a good move if they they got a bunch of Kevin Solis in the crowd and people are passed out in their cars while this is one of the, the first spectator sports since March. Uh, so um, we'll hope for Would you do this better... right now, though? If in Austin, Texas, right now you could drive down and watch some pole vaulting, I would do it. I would 100% do it for my car. You think? Okay. Yeah. Well, depending on what time of day, because well, you don't mm-hmm. have AC in your cars. We've talked about. Well, here, I wouldn't. So. I wouldn't take my Yaris. I would take the other car that does have AC. But yeah, <laughs> the Yaris would be torture. <laughs> <laughs> At night, cool temperatures. It's lit really well. I would watch it from the confines of my car. Yeah. Okay. I haven't spent that much time in my car. My car and I need yeah. to get reacquainted. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, yeah, okay. I'm committed to this if it makes its way across the pond from Germany. We'll see how this one goes. When is this event? This is coming soon. It is, let's see, I put the... <laughs> Do theaters near you, pole vault. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I want to say June. Oh, June, June. But I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, but I'm okay. not sure. Look, Impos- Impossible Games, still on the schedule June, for June 11th. Yeah. We get to see the strobe light pacer. We get to see Warholm run the 300 hurdles. I'm excited. No, it's that one's going to be fun. Ingerbitsen I mean, that's maybe run. Ingerbitsons are supposed to be running tomorrow in, in in some road event, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. I'm a little more excited uh, for that than this German uh, drive-in pole vault, but. <sighs> I, who knows? I mean, the pole vault has surprised me during this period how with how exciting mm-hmm. it can be, even when these pros are jumping heights that they can like kind of scissor kick over. Uh, it's uh, may, maybe this betters the Ingebrigtsen's doing a, a family time trial, but I'm I'm as it stands right now, I'm more looking forward to seeing what what the brothers can do, and maybe it's time for Henrik to, to make a comeback. I mean, think about that. I mean, mm-hmm. if Henrik gets a W tomorrow, that could change our entire understanding of the Britsons. Because right now, the pecking order pretty clear: Jakob, Philip, and and Henrik. And maybe Henrik's tired of that. Yeah, you're right. That is exciting, but I'm not going to turn my nose up at a Raphael holds Debbie Torben Bletch matchup. I'm just not going to. I'm not going yeah. to turn away from that. There, I'm going to lean are, right in. There are certain things that you can't, and that's one of them. And I, I've always said that about if these guys match up in a drive-in during a pandemic type of a situation, <laughs> I, I'm not going to, like you said, turn my nose up at it. And so for that to finally come to fruition, I have to 
you know, I have to deliver on my promise about that. So they've been ducking each other for too long. Uh, yeah. Now finally yep. we get answers to questions. And don't count out again. Don't count out Bo Candelita Bere in this because BKLB mm-hmm. is is a stud. I mean, he has a history at drive-in movies. Th- I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> Couldn't keep that bit going. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to make some drive-in movie joke, but I don't know how drive-in <laughs> movies are perceived. In, in yeah. yeah. Let's talk about The Mile. You ready okay. for The Mile? Yeah, I'm ready. Yes. As the ticker on the bottom of the screen, if you're watching on Flowtrack, says – what was the most memorable mile slash 1500-meter race of all time? And we want to do a deep dive into one that probably our audience doesn't spend a whole bunch of time re-watching. But the historians out there know about it. I'm, of course, speaking yeah. about the 1954 British Empire Commonwealth Games in Vancouver, British Columbia. The date, Lincoln? August 7th, 19. 19- 54 Roger Bannister fresh off breaking four minutes in the mile against John Landy the Australian who took Bannister's world record from him went 357.9 in Finland got rounded up to 358 but had the record by over a second and they got to square off in this race when when you saw the video when you saw the pictures what jumped out at you first? What made you want to do a thorough analysis of this race? Well, I mean, the first thing that stands out is that the stadium is absolutely packed. It's It says the attendance everywhere you read is 35,000 people. But if you would have told me 100,000, I would have believed that because <laughs> it's body-to-body people, which, uh, you know, watching that now, even in black and white, you're like, oh, my God what are they doing and but uh you realize that's uh that's post-traumatic stress of the situation we're in right now but this was i mean to me one of the biggest sporting events in the world the biggest mile ever at the time Uh, you know roger bannister's Mm -hmm. name still today means something in the mile and john landy's less so but just because he did had the unfortunate thing of coming second after after roger bannister Mm -hmm. as far as breaking four in the mile but uh, this was huge, a huge matchup back then, and I think given the significance we still give to Bannister for being the first, it still has massive significance. And not just that, it was a great race, and a lot of people were watching. Yeah. How many did they say tuned in worldwide via radio and television? It was millions of people yeah. that were tuning in to this event. So if you haven't seen it and you want to participate with this podcast, which I feel like you should, mm-hmm. watch the race. You yeah. can find it on YouTube. A surprisingly high quality video of this thing exists. I mean, really quality, really high quality. Yeah, yeah. Watch it. You can read all about it, and then we'll we'll break it down here. But it's important to know the subtext and what came before. As I mentioned, Bannister only had that record for six weeks, yeah. right? And that doesn't get written mm-hmm. about much in in the record books. Landy was younger. If you haven't read. The Perfect Mile by Neil Bascombe, I highly recommend it. It's good background information for for this race because that was really about Landy, Bannister, and an American, Wes Santee, trying to be the first person. There was this race to be the first to break four, and information back in the 50s spread much slower than it did now, and it was fascinating to see these guys all try to achieve 
the same goal and try to be the first to do it and hearing about the others. But this was the first matchup between the two of Landy and Bannister. And Landy wasn't a fan of rabbits. And we know that Bannister broke four on the Ifley Road track with the help of Pacers. But Landy wanted to do it solo. Or he wanted to do it authentically. And in that race in Finland, Oof. when he ran That's a the charged word board, there. What's that? Which authentically. One? Authentically a charged word. You're saying well, Rogers wasn't Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I'm say, I'm saying he wanted to do it in the confines of a hundred percent pure race, no time shells. Now today if someone broke a record with a rabbit, we'd say, Oh, that's how you break a rabbit or record yeah, with yeah. a rabbit. That's that's part of the toolkit that you use. No. In the race in Finland, when Landy broke the, the world record, he did have people, I think at least for the first four hundred, go out hard. But he had this quote from 2004 where he said, uh, my point is people say, would you have done it that way? Talking about pacing. The answer is no. I wanted to run the four-minute mile myself, and I never saw it as a team business. Even though I had some very good teammates and wanted to pace me, I wanted to do it myself. So it's just important subtext there going in. Just a bad take overall, but that's fine. I respect him. I respect <laughs> respect his craft. I think he's wrong there, but uh... – I don't know why tactical races and rabbits get such a bad rap uh, when we're, we, I understand he comes from a different era, but uh, mm-hmm. you're still running the race. I, I don't, I, it's just like, that's like saying like, well, you know, it would be sure nice to train with people, but that actually helps me. And I would like for my job to be harder because that makes me feel better about myself. So uh, I'm gonna just train by myself. I mean, it's just like it's 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 punishment to the point of overdoing it. I think, but different era. We this was the breaking things... two debate of the time. This is what they yeah. talked about instead of talking about yeah. the lasers on the car and the pacers mm-hmm. coming in and out. But this was hyped. This was hyped because you had a clash of styles, Lincoln. Yeah. You had Bannister, the guy who could close, Landy, the pure front runner. It was called the Miracle Mile, the Mile of the Century, and everybody's watching. Everybody's watching because yeah. the mile was was hot. It was in. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's uh, you couldn't ask for much better. I mean, I try to think of an equivalent now, and you obviously couldn't because not many people, you know, w- without it being a World Championships or actually like an Olympics. I mean, you just couldn't get this much. But I, of a match race situation um, between two people now. I, I don't know what it would be. Uh, I mean, you know, Timothy Chariot for, for all, how great he is, he's never going to be as famous as Roger Bannister. And, and, you know, you know, probably the same for even Matthew Central. It's here, even though he's pretty famous in the United States, we're not going to probably see this again, but the equivalent would be if, you know, those those two guys, I guess, if if Chariot broke the the mile world record, so if he ran three forty three low or whatever, well, you know what it ran three forty two, and then somebody else will say Centurets broke it, and then those guys met a few weeks later in a very high stakes race, and they both committed to it being fast. You know, it's like it's like it's like not only are they going to meet meet up to declare who the world's best miler is, but they're also going to do it in a way that you know, the winner is going to end up running a fast time. I mean, they both ran fast. They both broke four first ever race where two guys broke four, but 
it's just something that is so foreign now just because of how selective we are with races, of course. And, and you know, world records don't get set very often. And yeah. so we were at this new thing where these suddenly these guys had arrived that were capable of running four, which it was thought to be impossible. And now we would think of, you know, running 343 is almost impossible, even though we've seen it uh, mm-hmm. in the 90s with Hickamaga Rouge. It's just it was that's how that's how it was. I mean, it's like these guys uh doing something that that i think we thought was going to that was 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 beyond human abilities and and two guys yeah. doing it at the same time to declare the world's best miler uh pretty the stakes couldn't have been much higher yeah and also i don't know if they knew this at this time but that was banisters last year pretty running seriously for the most part apex, and then landy apex went, banister <laughs> and then landy went to 56 that was it 1950 mm-hmm. went two years more and then left competitive running. I think they thought this might be the one and only time that we run, and it turned out to be absolutely correct. That was the one and only time that they raced. It wasn't like crazy. a situation where, so where you'll see them six times in the the, the right. circuit the next year. This reminded me, in a way, when you're just talking about pure match race of the Donovan Bailey-Michael Johnson 150, but that was a little bit of a different element because one was a the gold medalist in one event. And then the other one was at the gold medalist in the different event. And then they met in the middle, but just the head to head larger than life yep. feel. And again, I was not there in 1954, but just from rewatching the broadcast, the way they're positioning it, it's the most important thing that's ever happened on the yeah. face of the earth when it comes to sports, the way they're talking about it. Yeah. And, and let's knock the elephant out of the room here. Let's set the stage. We get to the start line and two of the competitors, not Bannister or Landy, but they start in a sprinter's position. Uh, <laughs> no amount of reporting research would ever satisfy me to understand, to go into the psyche of those two guys. One of them is a pacer, but, but if you, again, if you, like we said at the top, you got to watch this to really get into what we're talking is about. Is he here, a pacer though? He goes he? immediately to the front, and do we think it's from his starting position that he starts? Did these guys request blocks, and they were not provided for them? Because you're like, oh, I'm about to watch a race on the start line, and all of a sudden, two guys go down into the set position, and then they there's no drive phase. You don't think they didn't think to themselves, <laughs> like, this was kind of pointless because I immediately stood up. Like, who wasn't told this them the pre-block, this was... Wasn't this the pre-blocks era, though, almost? No, this was is it? Where you, you... I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm not 100 percent sure when when blocks were. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to think of. Certainly by the 60s that that they were around. I'm not okay. sure, but I just remember the the videos of people digging holes with the trowel and then putting their feet in. No, I think I don't think those guys were rabbits. I mean, these were the Commonwealth Games. These weren't. You okay. Had to qualify yeah, I guess you're right. That with, with what Landy was saying, that wouldn't make sense. But the one guy just shot immediately to the front and had no sh- no well, chance. Well, it's a start. But- that's his start. That dude owned the first 50 meters. That was his yeah, calling card. That his That's thing. what he was known yeah. for. One of them was Murray Hallberg, who from New Zealand was was a both I think both of the guys were from New Zealand. They were in the all all black jerseys. And he was a known commodity, even though everybody knew it was gonna be Bannister and, and Landy here. But that guy was that guy was good. That guy was good. Mm. He was your he was your Abdullahi El Geeter, we'll say, of the time. He's mm. gonna be in the race. Okay. You're going to see him, but he's not going to be—he's not going to be a factor when the, when yeah. the gold medal is decided. But yeah, he's a supporting actor. That was sensational. I saw that, and I think that's the moment when I realized we needed to do this rewatch and really dive in because if that's yeah. at the first 
if that's the first thing you see, what else is going to happen in the next four minutes? It could be even better. In a great race unfolded, I still can't get over the fact there's there's a couple things. It's the one. It's the it's that it's the the guy starting in the down position, and then two, the comedy of unfortunate events that befell both uh, Bannister and Landy before the race. Mm. Bannister having a cold, and then if you can believe this or not, Landy stomping on a flash bulb, a, li- a light bulb of a photographer's camera, and like getting his foot all cut up. This was the Prefontaine jumping into the pool before or whatever it was before before that became cool like how does that even happen what is that that's a, talk about a freak accident uh that is that, that the landing... most 1950s sports injury ever can you get more <laughs> hey, 1950s watch out for my camera yeah. I, I just, press wait, here I press just, here John yeah, Landy, yeah, yeah. the fastest miler in the Southern Hemisphere, stepped on a flashbulb. Extra, extra, read all about it. It was it was incredibly expensive too. The the photographer invoiced him for seven dollars afterwards, which was actually all of Landy's winnings for the nineteen fifty four season. So it was very expensive accident. He, yeah. Well, he's had to wait less time than Josh Kerr did for his, his money from uh, yeah. Pro athletics. <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. I did not see stepping on a flashbulb. I did not know about it. I'll admit I, re- mm-hmm. I read about this, this race. That one was one either I read and forgot somehow, which is really, really bad on my part or I never read it. So he actually had a, he had stitches, he had stitches, but he did not blame his performance on, That's on good. the cut. Mm-hmm. it's a pro move it was it in was it in the injury report is what i want to know going in yeah was he listed as doubtful i mean these guys couldn't have backed out they wouldn't have done that back in this post-war time i mean this was not a thing where it's going to be like today they're on the entry sheet and ah uh, he scratched didn't feel you know it just wasn't worth the risk like no they weren't doing that in the 1954s and like listen i, I love track and field today and i don't want it to be like it was better back in the 50s i'm not that take guy but there wasn't a situation where someone was like Oof, foot's not quite there. I don't want to risk it. You know, 56 is coming up. You know, I really want to be in shape for next season. I got to get in a solid block of training. I'm going to scratch the the Empire games with 35,000. It's just going to be Roger Bannister versus uh, Timmy Two Shoes, and it's going to be a 10-second difference. No, the guy could have mm-hmm. taken a shotgun to the arm, and he would have still been out there. And, like, that's the difference, man. That's just... They made them different back then. These guys were freaking ready to go, and uh, I appreciate that. This was, this was a non-championship year, too. Keep keep in mind, this might be the greatest mm-hmm. non-championship year race until Selinski went twenty six fifty nine. This was mm-hmm. it. This held the record yep. for most consequential non-championship yep. year race ever. The so the gun goes off. Landy stitches in his foot and all, gives it about three hundred meters. And then does the Sifan Hassan screw it. Ass, screw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just takes off. Just takes off. I mean, he, 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 he took off the way Alan Webb took off in the world yeah. champs on the backstretch with 700 to go, but he did that yeah. 300 meters into the race. Do you think his coach thought – his coach was probably in the mindset of you need to front run, but hey, dude, yeah. how about you chill for, for just maybe 800 meters and then make yeah. the move? Yeah, his morality wouldn't allow him to to do that. I don't think he he came from the mindset that he had to earn it from the front. And I, there was some logic too. The 
Bannister's kick, uh, very revered, and he shows it in this race. No spoilers, but he, he was trying to run the kick out of, uh, yeah. out of Bannister. And so I don't think he went out too aggressive. I think they said the first quarter mile was like 58 seconds. I mean, obviously, if he would back then, if on that's on uh, 58.6, uh, Lincoln, according okay. to uh, the split. Okay. But I mean, still, he's on like three, he's on like 355, 356 pace. Um, So that was crazy. Well, I mean, maybe back then it it would have been, it was a, it was a tad quick with no pacers. So um, he had a, he had a little gap on Bannister, but Bannister knew how to being the, being the doctor that he was, knew how to measure his effort. Clearly. The original master tactician. Mm -hmm. He got, Mm -hmm. he also got his PhD in, in tactics. Before we continue, this made me think the mile, I guess you could put the 5,000 in there as well too, but how many races in history would have been different if everybody just ran their best race strategy? If everybody did the John Landy move, because John mm-hmm. Landy, John Landy's result, I don't, you're right. Maybe he goes a tick slower out the gate, but I don't think the re- ultimate result would have ended any differently. If he ran tactically, he would just would have lost and it would have been 402 or something like that, 403. Mm-hmm. I just wonder how many Olympic finals and world championship races on the men's and women's side would have been different if everybody just employed their best strategy as opposed to the games that we see oftentimes. If yeah. everybody ran like the Tim- – like Timothy Chariot could have lost in Doha. Safan Hassan could have lost those races in Doha. They won by huge margins because they just – ran the best strategy for them. They asserted themselves early on, but that's not always the case. No, not at all. I think a lot of people rely on others to kind of do the work. And I think we think that's a good thing, but it, in reality, it can be, you're just, you're trying to win at somebody else's. Person. Yeah. You're trying to win at somebody else's game. And that, that rarely, that rarely works. Uh, and so I think the Landy model you know, if I was coaching, I'd have my athletes look at the the, the 1950s and say, if you're going to lose, lose like John Landy. So here, step on your light bulb and get out there. And uh, no, no, it it, it, it definitely, uh, I, I do think that some athletes, and maybe they wouldn't admit this, but do fall into the trap of just waiting to see uh, your, in, instead of coming up with a concrete plan that's really going to gonna work for them. And of course, there's the opposite side of that. There's like the people that were like, oh, you you followed this crazy race plan. You went out too aggressively. And I think some people would say that about Landy. It's like, maybe just tone it back just a bit here and you would have had a yeah. better shot. But I think Bannister, this was the year of Bannister. I mean, I know Landy broke the world record. And how, I guess one thing I wasn't clear of, because Bannister does not break the world record here, is how long did Landy have the world record? Because Bannister, this is the as fast as Bannister ever runs. So... I'm, I'm, how long was it until somebody broke Landy's record that he set in Finland? I'm putting uh, you on the spot. Sorry. Good, yeah, uh, uh, that's a good. That's a really good question, Lincoln. Yeah, I'm no, I don't know. Not I mean, prepared to answer that. Yeah. Oh, he held it until Landy held it to till fifty seven when Derek oh, Ibbotson wow. of the UK ran three fifty seven point two. Oh wow! Okay. Hmm. Wait, hold on. That's not right. Because then it says Herb Elliott. Oh, that must just be it. Oh, no, no, that's right. Yeah, 57. 57. So, okay. yeah, I mean, it's like same thing with events right now. They go in cycles and oh, there's mm-hmm. a big chunk of time that gets dropped off and then it stays put for a couple of years and there's a whole bunch of time that gets dropped off. 
do you think well we'll get to that later i want to ask more about banister yeah. and and his feeling on on just the time so there is a gap though you're right landy put some pressure on him it's not as if he just got in front of him and then stayed put no. and was leading no, for no. no purpose he was mm-hmm. serving essentially as the perfect rabbit here at about 800 he starts to close the gap and then with a lap to go they hit 258.7 banisters right on his back right there with 400 to go then you're thinking okay even if you weren't a time machine and and you didn't have the benefit of hindsight you think and you didn't know anything about these guys you'd say guy in second is in good position here yeah you just he just plays it so so perfectly um and I mean that's that's basically it. He he knew, you know, if if you read like you mentioned the perfect mile, the methodical and it's from his perspective, but you know, it's the the methodical thing he put into his uh into his races and you really see it to perfection here with with how he uh how he times this this move perfectly up into three quarters miles and he just owns that last lap. I don't know what the split was, but uh that his last hundred is uh God, it's uh, it's like Robbie Andrews-esque almost. <laughs> it was about 60, I would say, because he goes 258.7, okay. and then he finishes at 358.8, but he was a, a little bit behind, so just under 60, I would say. Now, Landy, after the race, said this, I had nobody to help me. I tried to run a lone wolf race. If I couldn't shake Roger off, I had to lose. When I looked around in the back straight and I saw he was with me, I knew it was curtains. It's a I great think, quote. right? It's a great quote. It's incredibly honest. He's also perfectly channeling the self-loathing, kickless runner mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. all maybe are in our life or know in our life that are just mm-hmm. like, well, can't get rid of him. I'm doomed. I you probably yeah. don't want that. You don't want that attitude. You do not want that attitude. You want to say, hey. I still have a shot. You can't have just mm-hmm. one card, just one card in a race. Even though what he's saying is a hundred percent true. Did you see? I don't know when this quote was, and it was from years later, I believe. But this, this, so, so Landy with with you know one hundred and twenty to go, or maybe one ten to go. He looks. He's on the inside lane, but he looks for some reason to his left while That's Bannister is passing. Scene. Yeah. Yeah, I was passing him on his right, and they end up making a statue that they put out outside the stadium. I think it's been moved since then, but they they put outside the stadium of it, of Bannister going and Landy looking the opposite way. His quote, though, is so good where he literally goes biblical. He's like, Lot's wife looked back, and she got turned into salt. I looked back, and I got turned into bronze, which is just like John Landy is just like, that is just money right there. That is an incredible yeah. – like, he does have that like – I don't, I don't know. It's like self-deprecating, but it's just like, it's just like, a, uh, it's poetic. He was, he was a wordsmith for sure. He's a quote machine. Yeah. He has yeah. the, he doesn't have the self-confidence of Elliot Kipchoge, but he definitely <laughs> has the, the ability yeah. to put string words together uh, in that, in that poetry that, mm-hmm. that, that Kipchoge has. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned the turnaround. A lot of people made a big deal of it and the commentary 
and I don't know if the commentary was done 10 years later, because if you if you want to sound like 1950s commentary, you just put your hand over your mic like this. Yes, from John Lander. So that could have been done anytime. I'm not sure. But they made a huge That'd deal over Landon. Done recently. Sorry. <laughs> just just shout out, shout <laughs> out to Scoops Callahan, who probably put it in there. Why was Landy looking left? Did did he think yeah. he was cutting through the infield, or did he think he was so far in front that he could look five yards behind him that way? I think he thought he to... was clear. I think he did think he was. I, he thought he had a little a little room. I it, it beats me why you would look to the inside. Uh, I have no Don't look idea. At all. I mean, I think it's overrated. Overrated looking. He was going to get past either way. Yeah. I don't know. It's like keeping your he eyes open for when you race too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he was nervous of Roger. He knew he knew he knew old Roger. But yeah, Ro- I, he wasn't gonna. I I I you know do this race hundred times. I think Roger Bannister probably wins somewhere in the eighties in of of this race. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. The finishing speed was was it was like Landy was like a five k runner without knowing he was actually a five k runner like you know good miler mm-hmm. not great though just had not did not have necessarily that kick but one thing I want to do before we talk more about the post race because the race was great but the post race stuff is where it's really fun uh who who had the better career I mean you, listen Bannister's always gonna be the most famous he was the first guy to do it and he wins this race however Landy has faster fifteen hundred and and uh, mile PRs, and he has an Olympic medal, which Bannister does not. I mean, you're taking Bannister's resume. Yeah. I mean, you're taking Bannister's publicity that he's gone and all the fame and in the in the revere. But I mean, you could argue that Landy had the better career. Yeah, Bannister also had the the European Championship from that same year, which mattered a lot back then because okay. a lot of the sport was centralized in Europe. I still take Bannister. I just think that one achievement overwhelms everything else, even though someone ran faster just a little bit later. You mentioned the 5,000. It made me think 50 years later, 50 years later, there would be a 5,000 at the Olympic games. In, and I'm assuming Kennedy Sibikele watched this race, watched this miracle mile and completely did not overlearn the lesson. I'll say because there was a guy, he should have run like John Landy, mm. and he didn't. But he probably saw John Landy, and he said, ah, that's a front runner, and he got out kicked. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to go against the best miler in history, and you know what I'm going to do in the 5K? I'm going to make that baby tactical because yeah, he won't that's... see it coming. He'll be so confused by my slow pace, he won't be able to completely whip me in the last lap. Yeah, that wasn't Michaela's best. That was not his best moment. I mean, to to be not a not a good decision. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, he's done pretty well for himself otherwise. But yeah, not not his best. And listen, this top three. Can you get any more goaty than the 2004 Olympic 5,000 meters? El Garouge, gold, Bikela, Kipchoge, bronze. I mean, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That is that uh, is pretty good. And C- Craig Mottram, eighth. I mean, has there ever been a better eighth place finisher than Craig Mottram? He was he's the second coming of John Landy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. could you could draw a line from 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 him to yeah. to John Landy. So after the the look and the pass, it's curtains, as Landy said, <laughs> flies by him, flies flies by him in the home stretch. Landy holds it together though. Right, because he raced with dignity, Lincoln. He raced with class, mm-hmm. three fifty eight eight to three fifty nine 
six, as you mentioned, first time two people under four in the same race does not get the world record though. Mm -hmm. Now they cross the finish line and what happens? It's a huge race. You got to figure, yes, there's a lot of people in the stands, but there's some sort of decorum. There's some sort of order here. Otherwise it would be a madhouse. Nope. Just a billion people swarm (laughs) them as they finish the race. They pick up Bannister. Was Who's it dead, that easy basically. to get a, I mean, because he yeah. collapses at every finish line. Yeah. Was it that easy to get a media credential? Did they think yeah. they were going to get like a great soundbite from him? Mm-hmm. Just all sorts of people rushed directly mm-hmm. onto the track. And it made me think, pandemic aside, if we got back to a place where we could be really close to people, I, I'm in favor of post-race swarming. I don't know if you mm-hmm. just have maybe every yeah. athlete, every athlete gets 10 people to 15 people that are in a little box near the mm-hmm. track. And then if your person wins, they just open the gate and you get to do a post-race swarming along with photographers and people like that. Because this was just immediately, there's a whole bunch of people on the track. Yeah. Did track and field start the the storm, the field uh, <laughs> trend? I mean, I almost wonder here because it was, uh, I don't know. This I mean, might have been uh, it. This might have been it. I know one other thing I want to point out with this era, the finish tape was always a piece piece of dental floss. Um, why they did that. <laughs> That's actually how they invented dental floss. It got yeah. tested out first as a finishing tape and someone accidentally caught it on their tooth when they were crossing the line and it worked. So then that is how they decided to integrate uh, dental floss into a, a dentist regimen. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, oh man so so much fun uh we'll go to the post-race interview with uh yes banister uh so we think of greats who have worn oversized clothing in the modern era jeffrey Carui in boston in 2017 lalisa de in his uh massive singlet at the breaking two event uh Tracy banister's McGrady. sweats not only does he of course have a collar on but I think you wrote they're about seven times too big. What do we think was going on with those sweats? <laughs> Were they, it was hard to tell what exactly was going on, but it, it looked like it, they belonged to a small family because <laughs> you could you could fit numerous people in there. And they mentioned before I saw some article saying how hot it was outside, so there was no we reason to be it. wearing all that clothing. Yeah. And they interview him, and the guy literally asks. If it was the fastest time he's ever run. Not, he, he's so professional too. Like he looks so professional. And then it's, you know, yeah. Do you remember yeah, when that. Mo Farah got interviewed? Remember when Mo Farah got interviewed after the rock and roll New Orleans half marathon and the woman asked if he had ever run one before? <laughs> that is, I, this is so many times worse than that. You're at the you Commonwealth think? Games. Yeah, you have the first interview with Roger Bannister. The guy literally broke four three months before he's the most famous runner on the planet you don't have to go to his tfers page or his teal stapaja page mm-hmm. there's one result you need to know for roger minister yep. and one result you need to know for john landy they asked him if it was the fastest time he's run yeah he just ran tough. And it, bannister aside from having a smoker's cough here because he's getting over a cold he answers it with quite the the professionalness he also asked him if it's easier to run like in, oh, it's easier. Is it easier to run fast uh, in a time trial by yourself or with opponents? And of course, now we would scoff at that, be like, obviously, with other people in the race. But Bannister yeah. still answers that, like in a in a the British 
you know, with British kindness. And, and I admire that other than the fact that he's clearly suffering because he's getting over a cold and just coughing the the uh the entire time not covering so, his but, mouth either no, in 2020 no. you watch that and you just go like man where's your mask <laughs> man where's your yeah. mask yeah he, yeah yeah so you, i mean landy's foot stitches versus banister's cough mm-hmm. is that a wash what would you rather have going into a mile uh, race those are such different ailments i mean landy like i said landy could have like taken a discus to the dome and he would not have used that as an excuse during the race. Uh, that's just the way he was with the media. Uh, but, uh, I guess we could call it a wash. I I don't see him favoring the foot at all. Um, and then Bannister, I mean, you know, he still ran three fifty eight, So I assume he was okay. It was a PR. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty close to being neutral, drawing neutral, just based on what they said and how they performed. Both guys in their mid twenties, Landy 24, Banster 25, but this was really the, the highlight, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. they get the, they get the statue, as you said, which you can still find somewhere in Vancouver. There should be a statue of the guys starting in sprinter stars. That should be right <laughs> yes. next to them. Yes. Landy yes. wins the bronze in 56. Bannister wins Euro champs in that same year in 54. And that's it for him. There was yep. only a couple. So that was, this was it. I mean, it, it in that sense, it lives up to the, the title, uh, the, the miracle mile, mile of the century. I don't. I mean, mile of the century. When you're in the middle of the century, that's bold. That's like, very if bold. It was ni- if it was 1998 and that was an awesome mile, you could be like, "This, yes, this is the mile yeah. of the century." Yeah. Does yeah. it live up? Does it hold up? Do you think? Was this the mile of the century? In fact, we'll just say for the men, the men's side of things. I mean, I, is it? Let, let's just say, like, what is the most? If someone was like, "What's the most memorable mile?" It obviously is going to depend on where you're from. Um, I don't know what Americans would say. I mean, I would tend to think an easy one would go, oh, you go to El Garouge's world record or, um, you know, you go to the 2015 Sir Walter, Sir Walter Myler. I mean, that was a classic, of course. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, yeah, I still think it's right. Bannister's Ban- first Bannister's one. first it's four. May. Yeah, that, that's probably the, the mile of the century. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so what's the mile of this century so far, 20 years in? Ooh. Wow, that's that's tough. I mean, Yomi Kajelka's solo three forty seven. The mile of this century. Can the fifteen hundreds be included, or just the mile? I think it doesn't. It have to be the mile. Okay. Um, God, there's not a ton that like. It's like you can't. You don't want to put like, oh, the Bowerman Mile one year went three forty seven. It's like who cares? I mean, that, that's that's fun, but. Um, See, I don't have a run of husky invites on my brain. That's where I really need to be diving into. I, I can't. Uh, the, 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 no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the best mile. God. It doesn't need to be the best. Just what's the mile of the century? So far, 20 years in. I don't know. I mean, Alan, what to me as an American, Alan Webb's 353 in high school was pretty big. Uh, I know you yeah. win that, but, but you know. Uh, that that stands out as one, and that was what literally in two thousand one or something. Uh, well, if you want to talk web, other than El Garou, oh, I mean, his, his American record, yeah, yeah, right. He's the fastest. He's the fastest one. 
Garouge yeah. did some uh, in 2000 and 2001 ran some 345s and 344s and 346s but then it's web web's 346 Can you 91 what if what if you did include 344 what, what in a if, mile like so fast what if you did include 1500s though what if we do include okay. the, the named metric Ooh. mile I would say 04 yeah. I would say 04 Guru yeah. finally getting the gold would be would be okay. my, on the men's side of things yeah for the women yeah, yeah, yeah. For the women, I'm partial, and maybe we can do a rewatchable later on in this in this week because I think you and I are on again on Thursday or Friday or something like that. I love the 2017 Women's World Championships. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. race was was so cool. Um, I mean, I guess you could talk about Dababa's 350, 1500, but that's not that interesting. I mean, she just just you know she blitzes the world record. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like if we're going to yeah. go fat, just a pure fast time, I would say this past year's world championships to me is more interesting than the yeah. world record, even oh, though it's a I little think faster. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, definitely. I was going to say 2019 was pretty, pretty good as well. Um, yeah, women's race. I, I, I think, I, I, I do think 2017 with all the names i know we just in the week but all the names that were in there that one is uh that one's tough to beat with with all the greats you're gonna eventually have in that in that race yeah kipigon simpson Semenya, Muir, hassan dababa who got last but just ignore that for now yeah Those are, it's, fine. it's fine that that's 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 six is she was a, tuning up a, for she was tuning up for indoor season okay she was getting ready for indoors <laughs> <laughs> All right. So any last any last thoughts on the the miracle mile, the mile of the century? Um, yeah, I just encourage everyone to 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 watch it, to look at sports pre-pandemic and track and field has been great for for a long time. Um it's weird to think of that many people being interested in a commonwealth type games, but uh, I think it's one of the, the, I don't know, it's a cool thing. A lot of events can draw people's attention. And I think the quirky stuff and the the very old school stuff we mentioned, the two guys starting the down position, I think you'll find it very entertaining. But a good race is a good race, and the historical stuff pushes this over the edge. And uh I think we can celebrate this while, while acknowledging that we may be, you can call it the race of the century in the sense that we're probably never going to see something with that level of stakes um, with two guys that are like going to meet one time basically, or once or twice. Yeah. I mean that we just don't see that we, cause the, the diamond league wasn't a thing. The world championships weren't a thing. The, you know, if you're that good now and, and as a runner, you're going to be a full-time professional. You're not going to be like Bannister trying to be a doctor and retiring after your best season. That would be like Centro St. Connet quits after 2016 to go, you know, work as a DJ or something. Uh, it just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, so there's a lot there to appreciate. I think Landy thought, and now I'm putting words and thoughts into his mouth, but he had the world record. He needed the victory over Bannister mm-hmm. yep. to complete yep. his, his resume. A gold medal in the Olympics would have helped even more, but... I think he 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 wanted that. He wanted that from the perspective of okay, this guy beat me to it, but I'm going to do it better once once I'm there. And if he could have broken right. the world record again there, say he runs 357.5, which looked like that's the type of time he was targeting and he thought he could do, then he's really cement his legacy. Yeah. 
I don't I don't know if we would be talking about John Landy still. No. But in the running, no, 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 like no, as no, a no. as as a important figure, as no. a pioneer in the same way as Bannister, but he at least would have been. You could have made that contrarian opinion known to your non-track friends who bring up Roger Bannister, and you can say, "Well, actually, John Landy." But I think with this, Bannister showed just how good he was. Just showed that he could win. He could he could do it in both in both styles, and he showed he could do it while wearing. 7x sweats afterwards <laughs> and having a cold yeah i mean unfortunately for john landy we de- we don't talk about who the best astronaut is of all time we talk about oh well at least in the united states we say oh neil armstrong first man on the moon and so that's where he's at that's the deficit he's at with with uh with in respect mm-hmm. to banister but i think you don't have your ass side of landy yeah it's a ranking uh you know right there buzz aldrin and, and neil armstrong um and uh I think Landy understood his spot, but he needed it for himself to tr- to say, yeah. I gave it a shot at, at Bannister and he took it and he took his loss and he said, well, that's it. I'll never be the best time to do it a couple more years and call it a career and well, go back to self mockery in, in Australia. We're lucky. We're fortunate that the first person who unofficially broke two hours in the marathon is also the undisputed best marathoner of all time. There is no question about that. Perhaps somebody will break it in an official capacity that is not going to turn into the greatest of all time, and that will become a little complicated. But I think people, the common public, will recognize Kipchoge as the first person to do it just because they saw it and they don't really care too much about all the little rules. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, but uh, yeah, That's I just, you you. Yeah, that's it. I just, you know, pros now they have it easy. They they get sweats that that fit. They aren't asked to race when they get their foot chopped up by a light bulb and or have a horrific cough. And uh, I, it is, has me wishing bulbs. for a bygone era. Has me wishing for an era of my grandparents' uh, adolescence. You know, it just was a good time. Well, let us know, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. What's the most memorable 1,500-mile race in history? We'd love to read your thoughts because it is my other week. We got the Alan Webb film and the Alan Webb race up on the site, and then we're going to have the Jenny Simpson film coming later on this week. Thank you to Alon for producing this episode. Thank you to Lincoln for co-hosting. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.